uh, the college I posted yesterday, people got real mad about that. I that saw was, that. What's, what's funny is uh, it got taken out of context. No context. way. It did, but I posted it. So I took myself <laughs> out of my own context. So it was my fault. I couldn't even be like, you guys are not hearing the whole thing. And they're like, you posted it, dude. Like, I didn't have, you're like, that's fair. So uh, what was it? I, so go over it all. Oh, I don't know. I do think we were making fun of uh, my co-host, Aaron. He went to Notre Dame. He took a friendship class. The class is called friendship. So I was making fun of like, that's insane that you can, you would go to a college, you're paying all this money. And then you're taking a class called friendship. Like, and I, I can't, I'm not smart enough to get into that college. That's the complaint. I'm not smart enough to get in. But you go take friendship or he took another class called the magic of numbers. And it was just like these names. You're like, come on, dude. Like, this is insane. Okay. Today's podcast, Harrison Barnes. Could he be traded? We'll ask him. And we have Nate Bargatze, new Netflix special. We talk about the world of comedy. And then I pitch him a couple jokes. Good luck. It's Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Nine seasons in the league. Sacramento Kings forward Harrison Barnes joins us on the podcast. Uh, I like your team. I, I know the record um, probably frustrates some. They're just players I like. And and you've had a great year, arguably the best year of your career. What do you think uh, the biggest issue has been so far? You know, this season, you know, we, we started off um, a little rocky and then we kind of found our groove. But we had one stretch where we were inconsistent, um, especially defensively which allowed us, that put us behind the eight ball. We were about 12 and 12, you know, had an eight game slide. And, you know, now we're trying to, we're trying to get back on track, but, you know, we have a lot of, we have a lot of talent. Uh, We have a lot of belief in our locker room. It's just a matter of putting it all together, specifically on a defensive end for us to get where we want to be. I need to start with De'Aaron just because he's he's been so incredible for stretches. I think there are small reminders where if maybe people aren't paying attention to every team, they'll be like, oh, wait, this guy again. What's the most impressive thing about his game for you? I think his competitiveness, you know, his ability to, you know, really take it to another level in the, in the fourth quarter. And specifically speaking of point guards, I think he has one of the biggest upsides of any point guard defensively. You know, his ability to you know, really, you know, guard guys, you know, make life difficult for them, you know, as he continues to mature and, and get older and 
grows on that side of the ball, I think, you know, that's where he can really separate himself from his peers. Having somebody like Tyrese come in uh, as a rookie and, you know, the league is is different now that, you know, back in the day you may think like, oh, okay, how can you have two guys with the ball? Are they going to be able to play together? But he can do so many things. Has he impressed you with his understanding of the game at such a young age and being able to kind of play multiple roles depending on who's out there? It's funny because I always get asked about Tyrese a lot. And the biggest thing, the biggest way I would describe his game is that he's just a connector. Like when he's out on the court, he can, he knows how to play. He knows how to make guys better, whether he's on the ball, off the ball, whether he, whatever position you put him in, um, he's going to find a way to be productive. And I think that really goes a long way, uh, you know, with our team and how he's able to impact. How much do you pay attention to trade rumors for yourself? Not a whole lot. I mean, I was, I've been involved in trade rumors really since after my rookie season, you know, so I think there has been a, uh, a deadline or an off season in which um, I haven't been a part of some type of some type of rumor. How did teams handle it differently? Because I imagine you know I can I can talk to guys about it and be like, hey, I wish they handled it this way. And I've always kind of said, you know, nobody really likes the way they're disappointed. Um, some people do want to be traded at times, but how would you describe you know Golden State, Dallas, and now with Sacramento? How different are teams in the way they try to handle it with players that are involved in this kind of stuff? It's different. A lot of it depends on the makeup of the team. You know, some situations it'll, it'll be like, look, you know, this is a business, but, you know, the guys in this locker room, you know, we're focused on a goal versus other places where it's like, well, you know, this is where our team is at. How are we going to, you know, progress the timeline forward or how do we, you know, get these certain guys, um, you know, the right core group moving forward. So everyone's different. But I think as a player, when you have years in this league, when you have experience, you you learn what you can control and what you can't. And the biggest thing you control is um, trying to get better every day, taking care of your body and putting yourself in a mental space to be ready to adapt to whatever situation, you know, is on the horizon. When you were moved out of Golden State, were you like, all right, I get it. I mean, it's Kevin Durant. <laughs> I mean, you know, I had, a, I had a very candid conversation with, with Bob Myers, candid conversation with Coach Kerr. You know, at the time, they let me know what the situation was in terms of, you know, what free agency was going to look like and who they were going after. So, and that's part of the business. And, you know, I think it worked out um, for all parties and how it went down, but you just have to be prepared for that. I mean, franchises are going to do what's best for them. And, you know, as players, you know, you have to understand the business. That first year um, you were in was, was the playoff series where Golden State takes out a Denver team that won a bunch of games in the regular season. I think that San Antonio series could have gone either way. Um, they they knew what they were doing. You guys are a little bit younger. That was an incredibly like impressive kind of warning to the rest of the league. What do you remember the most about that year? Yeah, I, I think the the biggest thing I remember about that year is that you know coming into the season, no one was talking about us being a playoff team or what we were going to do and things like that. So having that you know shared experience with those guys, um, really building. And just playing, you know, for each other, I think that was the biggest thing. And then that ended up being, you know, a playoff team and all of that type of stuff later. But the process and the journey was was a lot of fun. Did you think Steph would be this? Like, did, were you calling buddies after one year at UNC, calling just guys and be like, this guy is like, I can't believe it. 
I mean, if, if you've ever if you've ever been around Steph for a small period of time, you know, at that time it was, you know, this guy's an all star if he's healthy. And you look at him play, you're like, yeah, he's he's definitely an all star. And that was, you know, my rookie year. So, you know, to see him, you know, every single day, you know, for four years, you know, to see him, you know, two time MVP, all of all of his accomplishments, um, it's no surprise with the work that he puts in. You had Mark Jackson those first couple of years. Why do you think Mark hasn't got another shot? I mean, this, this is a crazy business. Um, you know, obviously, you know, he was he was big in the development of Steph, of Clay. you know, giving those guys confidence, um, you know, getting getting the team to be a playoff team. But, you know, the league, in terms of especially with coaching, um, you know, it's a different beast. I can only speak from it from the player's side. But, you know, who gets a look and who doesn't, um, you know, it, it's very it, – it's not consistent around the league. Yeah. No, I, I'd agree with that part of it. Um, God, I feel like I'm asking you three negative questions in a row here, Harrison. I actually didn't mean to do this um, because <laughs> I, I wanted to get your perspective on, on 2016. And I was, I'm a huge Steph fan. You know, I just loved watching you guys play. It was kind of a, you know, there's these teams every now and then that come along that even if you're not a fan of that team, you go, I just want to watch them as much as I can. And that that's who you guys were. And when the first two games go the way they do. Steph doesn't even have a big game in the first one, but it's so clear that his impact and the way they were doubling Clay and, and Steph off screens. And you're like, okay, this thing's over. And then, you know, Draymond gets tossed. The, the series turns. Clearly, LeBron and Kyrie, that team was awesome. Um, you guys were just that much better. What do you remember about that series turning the way it did? I mean, I think the biggest thing is, you know, we, we, had, we had three opportunities to close out. And, you know, we didn't end didn't get the job done so you know obviously credit to you know credit to the, the Cavs for you know what they did in that series but just look at the mirror and just be and just be candid you know we we had opportunities one without Draymond obviously um you know he was there after that but we had opportunities to close out and we didn't did you ever think like did you lose game five going whatever we'll take care of them in six or did you lose in six and be like we're fine we're home we're in seven I I have to think with the success of what you'd been that season that even with the momentum shifting a bit there was never any doubt still correct I mean I'm just kind of figure out what that locker room was like after losing game five and six yeah you, you never I mean anytime in the playoff series you're never thinking okay well we have this many opportunities to win a game right you're always thinking it's the next game so you lose you lose game five, you know, all your focus is game six. You lose game six, you're coming home, all you're thinking about is game seven. So, you know, that's really the focus and where you're at. You're not thinking, okay, well, if we lose game five, we have two more opportunities, you know, to try to close this thing out. You have uh, been named treasurer of the Players Association. We're talking, you know, between 400, 500 players. I don't know what the full, I, I don't want to cut anybody short here on full members uh, of, the, of the Players Union. But this is a role that I think is great. I'm really into this stuff. I love all the CBA talk. Uh, anybody that knows me or listens to this podcast, how important is it for you not just to have this role, but also to try to do the best you can at getting players to understand? Because I don't know that, and I think those of us on the outside, it's kind of the same any workplace, but not every employee knows the benefits that are there for them, knows all the inner workings of it. How important is that part of this job for you? It's huge, and it means a lot. Um, one to be associated, you know, with the union in terms of a leadership position. You know, coming into the league, I've always tried to, you know, be involved with the union, go to the meetings, you know, talk with guys just to get a better understanding of what's really going on. Because like I said earlier, 
you know, this, the NBA is a business, you know, there's a lot of different moving parts that are going on that, you know, as a young player, you're not really even thinking about, it. you're just focused on you know, your game, trying to be established, you know, trying to, you know, find your way in this league and, you know, to be, have this position replacing a guy like Anthony Tolliver, who, you know, I have, you know, tremendous respect for on and off the court, but a guy who's had this role and who's really been with the union in a leadership position for a long time and just navigating different situations. Um, you know, it's big shoes to fill. So I'm definitely going to, you know, lean on him and, you know, the rest of the executive committee and uh, learn as much as I can. I, I hope you take this the right way. Um, so I'll set it up here. But whether it's, you know, in February, setting up bank accounts for 500 students of color, put money into their savings, um, working with all sorts of groups as far as trying to minimize the wealth gap, also donating over 200 grand to eight different nonprofits and this role that this is, this is great that more people are motivated to, to do more in the community, but you were kind of wired this way from the very beginning. Cause I remember before the draft, I asked some teams, I'd be like, Hey, what do you get on Harrison Barnes? Like, what do you think? And they go, man, he's different, but in the best way possible. And I think whenever you say an athlete is different, the first thing is like, oh, what does that mean? And you're like, no, 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 no. This is the other way. This is Harrison kind of sees the world a little bit different. He's way mature, you know, beyond the years. And, and he's kind of looking at this as I'm going to play basketball now, but like I'm setting up the next thing. So what do you think the next thing is for you? Because every time I've ever talked about you with somebody, they've come away incredibly impressed. And unfortunately for athletes, when you have interest outside of basketball, sometimes people worry about you as a player. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I mean, I'm nine years in the league, and sometimes I have teammates that act like I've been in the league for 17 years. Um, <laughs> the way they, the way they talk to me sometimes. But, um, you know, as of right now, you know that that's still up in the air. You know, I feel like I have a lot of basketball left um, in me. But one thing I am passionate about is, you know, financial literacy, and I think that's something that's really important. Not only all of the lessons that you learn, like around the draft, that you come into the NBA, and you know, how do you go about managing money? But the fact that a lot of these conversations don't start until you're about to get drafted, you know, why, why can these conversations not start much earlier, right? You know, everybody's on the circuit. Everybody is um, in school at a younger age, but we don't have these conversations to write, right when the payday is going to happen. So I think just in general for the average, for the average kid learning about financial literacy and how to prepare yourself for financial freedom as you get older is very important. Did you have any issues early on? Cause I, I'd, I'd imagine you kind of knew, I mean, everybody can make mistakes with money. Uh, I'm not trying to ask what your positions are right now across your portfolio, but did you, did you already have it figured out with the rookie checks? No, I mean, I, I, I didn't, I had, what'd you do? I remember my, first, I remember my first check was, uh, was like a panini check and it was like more money than I'd ever seen in my life. Right. And I thought, I was like, man, I've, I've made it right. Like this is, this is the beginning. Like this is it. And, you know, I was fortunate. I had a lot of mentors, but one mentor in particular was like, look, you know, money is not, you know, fast cars and, and expensive clothes and nice houses. Like it's opportunity and freedom. And this is, this is how you have to learn about it. So the idea of, of saving and saying, well, okay, until you get to this threshold, you know, you don't, you know, you can't really, you know, spend your money frivolously and things like that. That really kind of put me in a different um, track to be able to say like, oh, okay, like if I wasn't, if I didn't have this type of guidance and this type of uh, teaching, I probably would have, you know, 
spend a bunch of money on things that I wouldn't even need or have any use for right now. Yeah. So it sounds like you still kind of had it figured out. I imagine you're not, you know, look, I mean, I'm not trying to get in your wallet here, but I imagine, I imagine things have worked out so that you, you're like, hey, I can probably get myself a decent ride with four wheel drive if you wanted to. Um, so <laughs> anyway, Hey, look, yeah. uh, before we let you go, do you think you're going to be traded? Cause I'm putting you in a tough spot here because if you say, yeah, I could be traded. Like, you know how it works. Like you're also supposed to say you want to retire a King, which I always think is funny when player says it, but I also understand why they do it. But I'm just, you know, we got a couple of weeks to go here and a lot of teams like you, you've been great this year. And it's a good thing to remind people you're on the right side of 30 and you know, I, I there's, it just seems to be a lot of interest in you. So I'm wondering how you approach it all. You know, honestly, it's, it's so funny. Um, especially with my relationship with the trade deadline um, in recent years. I honestly, I have no idea. Like, I mean, I, I check, I check Woj's Twitter just as much as, as you probably do. And I mean, he would probably be the first person to let me know if I got traded. So um, I honestly have no idea. I mean, every rumor, you know, sometimes when there's smoke, there's fire, but a lot of times it's a smoke screen. So um, I would say it's, it's up in the air. We'll see what happens. Um, I know there's a lot of a lot of teams rooting for it to happen, or at least fan bases. But congrats on everything you've done, not only on the court, off the court, and uh, as well the position with the Players Association. Because I think for a guy like you, I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. So, thanks again. I appreciate the time, man. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season? Throw in a little... Something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead. On the Arby's app. Fired up to have Nate Bargatze on again. His new Netflix special, March 18th, The Greatest Average American. It feels like this is now, are we talking about branding people, marketing people? Or is this the lane that we're, we're expecting from you in the future? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. As the greatest average American. I mean, that's such a funny thing to be marketed. It's like, I'm just going to be, I mean, you know, the, remember the big boy statue with the hamburger? I just hope to be that one day just because to be able to sit there with holding it. Everybody that, you know, I look, you're as a comedian, it, it almost feels like, especially for your industry, you have to have like a lane. Be like, can I just be funny? Be like, no, yeah. no, no, no. You need a lane. Did that ever, did that ever come up with you at any point in your career? Uh, you know, I, I don't think it comes up like you think about it, but I do think that, I, I, I mean, I just talk about this stuff. I was, it, this, the name came off a joke. Like I would just always joke as like saying I'm the greatest average American just because I like <clears throat> I have very average American taste. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of fast food, a lot of chain stuff, you know, 
Uh, I use a lot of Afrin. That's a big average American. Uh, you know, the nose spray is just real addicted, real addicted. to. Afrin. That's supposed to be seven you days, know, isn't it? Ah, uh, it's, I mean, it's ongoing. There's my, my dad did it his whole life. And, uh, I mean, he's still alive. He's still doing it, but it's, it's, uh, but it's like just very, whatever, whatever you, if you go to the middle of the country and you see laying around their house, I have it. Okay. All right. So how, uh, how was doing this special? What were the, what were the dynamics behind it with everything that's gone on the last year? How'd you guys do this? They, uh, they, it was, uh, I mean, it was tough. I was glad that we were able to do it. We did it. They had a, hundred audience members everybody had to be COVID tested they did it outside at universal studios and everybody wore masks so i was doing drive-in movie theater dates leading up to that and so i was kind of used to at least performing in some kind of weird environment and uh but when we did this show we, so you take two shows when you do a special the first show so i, I was time my set was being time i was timing it out to about 64 minutes so you time your you know you're like all right when i when i'm done and you got to do an hour and so the first show, I can't hear laughs or see their faces. I did 43 minutes out of that 64. That's how quick. It, I mean, it just flew. Right when I got off, I just knew it. I was like, that's not, that's not good. And uh, so then the next show, I knew that I, I knew that I had to. I was like, all right, well, I've got to, I can't do that. Netflix is not like, that, don't worry about it, dude. We're just doing 43 minutes special, you know, <laughs> like they're. There you like you gotta have an hour. And so uh so the next show the next show we put the crowd had mics, like each table had a microphone. And so they put I could hear it through my monitors just to hear some so I could hear laughs. And that helped a lot to get us back to normal. See, you just threw a lot of stuff at me there that were I'm I'm really interested in this. So if you put together a set and you know you have an hour, can it change dramatically through it where you feel the the audience, but in this case, you're not necessarily feeling it the same. You're like, oh, this was great. There was all these things I didn't get to, or for the most part, do you have it pretty, pretty sized up because you have done whatever it was, you know, numerous times? Like, how does that work? The mechanics of figuring out like, oh, what did I get to? What do I not? How much do I have to map this out? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny with being comedy, you do get used to time. I bet, I mean, you probably get used to time. You can kind of just fill it out. You know, you've talked so much and you have to do this time, but yeah, I mean, the audience completely matters. If they're not, because there's different audiences, there's audience that <clears throat> are still good audiences, but they laugh and they laugh quick. So they they kind of like, ah, then they stop. And then so like <clears throat> there you got to kind of like, now I've got to talk sooner than I would have. Wherever this is a crowd that's like fired up and it's crazy and they're laughing so long that you get a really pause. And over an hour amount of time, all those little seconds add up to be in and then you feel more like relaxed and stuff like that like you're, it's almost like it's almost like golf like your tempo is better some shows and you're just you just feel very in the groove and <clears throat> it can be longer but then if they're not laughing or you can't hear them laughing and you feel like you got to stay on top of them you feel like you can't like have dead air because there's because it's quiet so you're just like oh let me say my next joke and then all that gets sped up and you start talking quicker and then that can dramatically I mean, I lost 20 minutes on that first show, which is, uh, I mean, pretty crazy uh, of a big leap. I was checking out Nate Land, the podcast. Um, you guys are talking ad reads. And yeah. as someone who does it for a living here, wh what are the level of complaints with you as far as the reads? Because it's not, it's apparently, has it gotten better? Because I know for a while there was dicey. <laughs> it was, they're, uh, <laughs> the what I forget we've had some complaints 
they it's because I can't say the words. That's the problem. Like I have a lot of trouble with a lot of the words. And so uh, that's been some of the complaint, but I think they've been all right. I'm hoping to be like, I just tell them like, Hey, this is just what I, this is how I read stuff. And then I've just started telling the audience guys, just buy this stuff. Like I, I can't, I'm having a really tough time getting through this, these words. So just throw me a bone and show them that we are doing it as a group. So I don't just get crushed with the ad reads. Cause deluxe, that word, that word tripped you up pretty good. Deluxe? And no one's, oh, yeah, yeah, no one said anything. Uh, no, you, Felix, uh, Helix mattress. I almost said Felix, uh, Helix mattress. No, they didn't. They haven't yet, good. but they, you know, I'm sure, I don't know if they're fans of the podcast. So, uh, that's, that's the only goal is all the ad people be like, ah, we don't really listen to it. Put on time. <laughs> so, cause I've noticed a constant theme and I think as you get a little bit older and you, you have a daughter and you're homeschooling. So you, you, a lot of the material has been about like how horrified you are trying to help her out over the over the last year or so but you seem to be anti-school so is this all combining and like you've got an issue with math you don't like to read ads all that much but you're like you seem very anti-college do you think there'll be a moment years from now you're like maybe maybe yeah you know my my college post yesterday uh the college i post yesterday people got real mad about that i saw that what's what's funny is uh it got taken out of context no context it did but I posted it, so I took myself <laughs> out of my own context. So it was my fault. I couldn't even be like, you guys are not hearing the whole thing. And they're like, you posted it, dude. Like, I didn't have – you're like, that's fair. So uh, what was it? I, so go over it all. Oh, I don't know. I do think – we were making fun of uh, my co-host, Aaron. He went to Notre Dame. He took a friendship class. The class is called Friendship. So I was making fun of, like, that's insane that you, can, you would go to a college. You're paying all this money. And then you're taking a class called friendship. Like, and I, I can't, I'm not smart enough to get into that college. That's the complaint. I'm not smart enough to get in, but you go take friendship or he took another class called the magic of numbers. And it was just like these names. You're like, come on, dude, like this is insane. And then I was saying, I, and then we, everybody wants their student debt paid. And so I got to, I'm like, I don't even, y'all are taking these classes. So the joke of it, the idea was it, it wasn't about the students. And I think that's how people took it. I'm not making fun of the people that go to college. I do think these universities, some of it's kind of crazy. They got all this money that they're making that it's just insane to be like, where is this money going? Like, I know, you see, they have billions of dollars. And you're like, I mean, all these alumni are giving money and all this kind of stuff. And then you're taking friendship classes. And then you're, you know, it's like, that was the complaint and the joke and then the clip that we chose i didn't even think about it because i and then it it looked like i was i'm not going after the students i don't think college is bad i think it's good i would want my daughter to go to college uh if you know like i'm i look you're if you don't go to college you end up being like me and you complain about these things (laughs) yeah right because once you started talking i think there was a student debt line in there and then i was like oh he's toast i was like he's yeah yeah people got pretty upset about it uh it was the, I don't really get people, I don't really ever say anything that gets mad, but you know, on a podcast, you're just talking, you just end up saying something. Uh, but I mean, it's pretty funny that I'm the one that posted that. I would love to be like, you know, dude, the press, the media doesn't, you know, like, it's like, I'm in charge of it all. Like, I'm just burying myself. Oh, you don't know what the media says out there. Like, I get a complaint. Look, uh, Simmons and I had one on a draft pick that made the rounds because we were just wrong about LaMelo Ball. And I had reasons that I explained, but then our own place broke out the part where I'm like, yeah, I was like, the way he played in Australia is garbage. And now he's rookie of the year. 
And I was like, God, I was like, this sucks. And then I was like, but I can't. I'm like, my own company put it out. Like we were like, hey, yeah. good. And you're watching the video just months later and you're cringing going, eh, boy, he's been awesome this year. Because when you came on with me and you did the Instagram post about Tom Cruise and Scientology, the yeah. whole bit was about Tom Cruise's hypnotizing. And yeah. that was it. And then I saw because I was tagged in it and I would, I would see a bunch of stuff. You'd be like, I don't know, dude, you guys see that Scientology doc? I'm like, you know what? I don't think it was a huge pro Scientology position by Nate. I think it was more about Tom Cruise and a joke. So I don't, I don't know that he's advocating for it. So I don't think we're okay here. Yeah, I will if they want me to. Uh, what if I go? I've talked to Tom Cruise since then. And I think it's, I think it's the real deal, dude. <laughs> I think you're there. Yeah, no, the joke. Yeah, that is the joke. Is that he's charming, and I think everybody, if you got alone with Tom Cruise, you'd be in big trouble because uh, you'd be on board with whatever he's going to tell you. Yeah, right. You're just in. You're like, what are you doing? And we're like, we're going to Tulum with Tom Cruise again. I got yeah. a vest. I, there's not really much I can do about it. <laughs> vest. Uh, he got <laughs> That's what he, he brings it over. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. this is, you know what? Yeah, People don't yeah. wear these enough. Feels good. When you, uh, are you at a point in your career where you don't take feedback? You don't get feedback. You only have a couple people, one person you trust with feedback on how you're doing. I like my comedy. Yeah. I don't, I mean, like, uh, I'll, uh, if someone says not about my act, my act is like, cause you just kind of like, nah, I know what I'm trying to do. And, uh, so the feedback on the act, I don't, I'll, I'll tell people jokes and stuff sometimes and be like, Hey, do you think this is funny or a funny idea? But I don't necessarily want, uh, you to write it with me. I just want you to be like, yeah, yeah. I mean, every, everything I ask, I want you to go, yeah, that's great. And then move on. I don't really honestly want any, uh, criticism or, you know, be like, well, what if you did this? I'm like, eh. I just wanted a, a yeah. I tell my wife that all the time. I'm like, you know what? I'd like just a yes from you right now. I don't need. <laughs> we're not. We're not having that. This is not a conversation. Um, you know, one thing that happens, and I know it's 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 really big in your world, is like how similar something can be, and like, hey, is that similar, or did you just straight take that from me, or something? Because our our thing is stupid. Where I'll see like somebody somebody will tweet out like. Hey man, you know, Christian McCaffrey was good. I knew it. And then some other guy would be like, I was saying that forever. And you're like, he almost won the Heisman. Okay. Yes. Like he was, this isn't an incredible, you're not <laughs> discovering new land here, but yeah. there can be observations where you could go like, oh, that's similar. That's what I'm doing. And then there's guys just straight up ripping people off. So how do you navigate all that? Uh, you know, I, so I don't think in comedy, uh, I do think some of that got overblown in the fact that like, I don't think comics are just stealing from each other all day long there's there's definitely comics taking stuff but you're usually like in you know idaho doing an open mic and like they're nowhere and it like this guy's still in his joke as far as like the, at a high level i mean too many people are seeing your stuff now that they would call you out that i think most stuff is if you i always look at it as if someone does something like you then i it probably wasn't that original of an idea to begin with and so that's anything that I've ever had where I've been like, Oh, someone's doing something that I'm doing. I, I'm like, I look at the joke and I go, yeah, of course. Like it's not the most original idea. Like I'm, it's a very common idea. So a lot of comics would come up with that idea. So that's how I've always looked at it. Instead of like trying to chase people down be like, you're trying to do my thing or whatever. It's uh, you know, it's like, it's probably not an original idea True is what I, I kind of think. Has anybody ever come after you? I actually don't know, so I'm not. I'm not bringing this up because I saw anything. Yeah, like, I mean, you're about to bring a guy in the room. Yeah, and you're like, right. 
like actually that whole like, thing oh, about yeah. the snakes, Honduras. This is it's my and he. I've got stole his whole act. I'm the one that stole. I'm like, oh god, it's, 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 he found him. He found him. Has anybody ever come after you? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I'm trying to think. I'll sometimes always get like some people try to say me and Segura had some stuff because we're both from uh, the south and like I talk, tell stories and. You know, you know, the thing that gets people get stolen the most is people's uh, rhythm, their cadence. Cadence is a, a gigantic thing that people can kind of take from other people. And it's hard not to do when you first start. You know, Brian Regan, when you would watch Brian Regan first start, it's hard not to like his the way he makes people laugh is like kind of he's found a rhythm that he kind of uses. And so it's easy to kind of if you watch him a lot, take that rhythm or. David Tell. David Tell was all over New York. You would see him, and then every comic. If I've I've sounded like David Tell, like you would just because you'd watch him so much, and he's so good that you end up, you know, being like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like just making these little like cadences like him, and that's that's the part that's that to me is worse than even the jokes. I saw David Tell live in Connecticut, like it was in a mall. And it was, I don't know, eight years ago or something like that. And there were a bunch of comics before him. It was a real place, you know, and a bunch of comics before him were really good. You know, you'd you'd have, you didn't know who they were. So you could say, oh, they're lulls or whatever. Not like, you know, I'm just a guy in the audience. When Attell came on, he did some of his bit. And then he just decided to say like, fuck it. And just veered off course. And you could tell none of it was written. None of it was, he just owned it like he got annoyed about something and took it up to another level to show off like what he was a comp like what he was capable of and it was actually pretty mind-blowing he feels like he's a comic that yeah. other comics go dude he's at another level sometimes or was you know, during his- he's uh i always say the com- only comic i would pay to go see i'd pay i'd no buy kidding. a ticket today to go watch him i'd watch him every show i'd watch if i did a, if i got to watch him six shows in a row i'd watch six shows in a row I don't think anybody's funner than Attell. I think he's, as far as just, just it's about it's about the jokes. It's about you know, there's no personal, there's no opinion mixed in that kind of thing. It's about being funny and that rapid fire that he can kind of throw out and make fun of. There's no one. I mean, he's and he's and everybody thinks that. But he would always go on stage at. Uh, he'd always go last at the Comedy Cellar. And he'd always just do that. So everybody'd go watch him. It'd be like two in the morning. One of the cool moments I've seen, I don't even talk to so Chappelle, uh, when I was in New York start uh two thousand five, six, something like that. And uh Chappelle was coming on. Here's what uh and he was doing he would come on and do like two hours, three hours, right? So when he goes on, he bumps everybody. So no other comic gets to go on. If Chappelle walks in, you're like, all right, see y'all, because he gets to go up, he's probably gonna do two, three hours. And no one else is going to get to go on. And that's just the deal. You know, and that's the deal that you work for. You you strive to want to be Dave Chappelle, that you can do that. And you can walk in and get up whenever you want. So Chappelle's You can't do that. Stage, uh, no. I, I mean, I can, there's places I can go. I can go up. Yeah. But I'm not, not at that level. Not like, no, it's not like right. Seinfeld. Like where it's like, or, you know, Gaskin. It's Gaskin, Seinfeld, Chris Rock. uh uh, Chappelle, Louis C.K. was doing it. Uh, you know, like those kind of, Amy Schumer, she came in. Like now, it's, it's pretty big stars. Okay, so back so, to your Chappelle thing. I interrupted. So uh, Chappelle is on stage, right? Everybody's gone home. He's doing two hours. David Tell walks down to the cellar. He pokes his head in. Chappelle sees David Tell. 
And he goes, oh, what's up, Dave? He goes, uh, he goes, what's up, Attell? Did you go up? And Attell goes, no. And Chappelle goes, all right, good night, everybody, and left. And Attell went on. And it was the respect that was shown to Dave Attell. Dave Chappelle is obviously very, I mean, way more famous than uh, Attell, not taking anything away from Attell. But it was the respect that he, that he showed Dave to be like, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to bump him, you know. And uh, that was one of my favorite moments in New York, in New York comedy. And you were there? Yeah. Could you talk yeah, to either sure. of those guys? Uh, I, I know Attell. Chappelle, I've never really, uh, you know, what's up? I knew Neil, I know Neil Brennan pretty well. Uh, but I, Chappelle, I've never really been around too much. Yeah, he would just always come. I was around him. He would come into Boston Comedy Club, a club in New York, and would always go on stage. Uh, right, at, I, was, I was a member, like, right when he left for the Chappelle show. He was coming to Boston Comedy Club. He's on the Chappelle show. I mean, he used to go on stage and he would have like makeup on his neck still from like the sketches he would be doing. And he'd go up in front of four people. We'd have no one in there because it'd be like no one's in there. And then we would walk outside and uh, and I was like handing out flyers. You know, that's how I got on stage. And so I'd walk outside. We'd be like, hey, Dave Chappelle's on stage if you want to go in and watch. And then you'd have like, I mean, 100 people. Everybody that stopped was like, okay. And they would all walk, walk in to watch him. And then you would have a full show. I saw one people, they didn't want it to go. I told them, I said, Chappelle's on stage. And they said, we don't believe you. And I go, why would I, why would I be standing in front of a comedy club? And why would I make this up? I was like, just go look in that window. If he's not there, then leave. And they go, no, we don't believe you. And they left. <laughs> and they, and they, I think about those people every day. They could have watched Dave Chappelle for free. I... See, I, I kind of love this, and I, I, I don't know if we're supposed to get back to the special, but I kind of feel like, hey, watch no, the special on Netflix, and, and you'll see the jokes. I don't, yeah. want, I don't want you to do them here. Um, but that whole stretch, that little stretch of those comedy clubs, if you like this stuff, you have to go to it in New York City. And to see you guys out there with the flyers, like that's pretty much it, and paying your dues, right? And then I know some. there's a lot of elements of that at the HBO show um, with a stand-up comedian. God, I'm forgetting his name. It's Peter. He owns. Yeah, Pete Holmes, right. Um, so I started exactly with Pete. Okay. I started, that was how I started. I moved, I was in Chicago, and Pete was in Chicago, Hannibal Burris, Kumail Nagiani, uh, TJ Miller. All of us were in Chicago, 2003. And then Pete moved to, Comedians came out, which was a documentary on Netflix about Seinfeld, start restarting his act called Comedian. And, uh, and so we, I watched that in the movie theater and like, it was unbelievable. And so then it was like, all right, we knew we knew, needed to move to New York. Pete moved to New York. Pete Holmes did. I moved like five months after Pete and Pete was barking, handing out flyers at that Boston comedy club. So I talked to Pete and he goes, I'll get you to come do it with me. So then I went and did, I did all the stuff that Pete did, uh, as far as barking at that club and work and working there and all that kind of stuff. And that's what how you did it. I mean, I, you barked. I mean, you'd hand people flyers. They just drop them in front of your face in New York. I mean, they would just, I mean, just grab it and look. Instead of just handing it back to you, just let it float to the ground <laughs> and just walk away. And you're standing out there and it's like, I mean, 30 degrees, dude. And you're just like, I just don't want to. All I thought was like, I don't want to be on this corner. I was like, I don't want to stand here. This is the worst. Uh, time, I barked in Times Square, which was bad. I mean, that's just your, it's a zoo. So you're just like, we got a great show. And I mean, like just people are just hitting, no one's even. How many years? Registering. Uh, I mean, probably a, 
a year or two at, at the bark. And then I went to another club and helped the guy run Dustin Chafe and the guy that Dub uh, Davidoff kind of plays in that uh, in the Boston comedy in the Pete Holmes show. But then he went to New York Comedy Club and then we kind of ran New York Comedy Club where he, uh, there was I was like helping him run shows. And then you would go there to Broadway and then the goal of it. And then you just slowly, you know, you're doing open mics and uh, Eric Andre. I remember the first day Eric Andre came to New York. I was hand, I was at this other place handing out flyers. Every time you did a show at the beginning, you had to, you, well, we have to get an audience in there for us to be able to do the show. So we got to go out front and talk people into coming to watch the show. And then Eric rode up on his, he's on a bicycle. And he's like, what's up? He's like, I'm a comic from, I think he's from D.C. He's like, I'm a comic from D.C. I just moved here. And I was like, yeah. I was like, I'm Tennessee. I just moved here. And he's like, he's like, what are y'all doing? I was like, we're handing out flyers. We're trying to do a show here. And I was like, kind of talked to him real fast. And then, so I've always been kind of friends with him. Uh, he blew up kind of quick. People, like, people forget with him, he got uh, the Geico commercials. He was a caveman. And the Geico commercials. and uh, Which sucks because nobody was like, people are going right now. Wait, what? Oh yeah, no one knows. I mean, it was a big deal because it was like it was like the first money. guy. Yeah, it was the first guy that you're like, oh, this dude's like, this dude's like making money, dude. Like that's like real money. Uh, and being able to see it, it was like good night. Uh, him, yeah, Hannibal, Hannibal, uh, kind of blew up like that, kind of quick. Like you know, they were all in the grind. We're all doing it, and then they just all kind of. Everybody moves on. Aziz and sorry, I, I was doing open mics with him, and then he was hosting the MTV Movie Awards. And you're like, "Golly, dude, it's crazy." That's a that's a dream team of guys, though. I mean, when you because like I would try to explain, like you're there, you're waiting in line, you're trying to figure out what show you want to go to. There's a couple different options. Everybody's outside there with the flyers, and then like real guys, real famous guys are just walking around, like, "Hey, what's going on? Who's in there? What's up?" And then the time span of like, "All right, you've got five minutes, go." And then the next person has 10 and then the headliner has this many. And that's where I saw Soder at the end where it's actually how I ended up finding out about you. Cause I saw Soder at the end. And I was like, who's this guy? Like this guy killed mm. it. And it's like, okay, well there's no, no kidding. He went last. So. Yeah. Yeah. Soder was doing that. And then like, yeah, I'm not, we saw Soder was there too. Like he came a little bit after me. I'm a little older than Soder, Soder, but uh, yeah, Soder came in and Soder was one of my best friends. And then they, uh, but I mean, we saw Patrice O'Neill, Bill Burr, Bill Burr, that's why Bill Burr and Patrice are kind of big deals to me, just because they were, I saw Burr, he was probably a 10-year comic when I first met him, and uh, and I saw him, I went to his HBO One Night Stand taping, him and Patrice taped the same night, and that was a, that was like a half hour that kind of, it was like that popped off, and then he had that Opie and Anthony uh, rant in Philly, if, I don't yeah. know if anybody's ever, if yeah. anybody wants to, if you haven't seen that, go YouTube Bill Burr rant Philly, uh, and so he did that, so that happened. And like he just kind of started to, you know, we go see Burr at Caroline's and he's headlining to, I don't know, like 100 people in there most. And then the next year we go, the managers won't even let us in to watch because it was too crowded. Like they were like, you can't come in. And then I went to, me and Soder went to Burr's Town Hall when he first did Town Hall. Burr's always been a big deal to me just because I've got to, like, he's always above me, but I got to, like, I, I, I walked in right when he was lifting off. And uh, I was always so blown away by him. And then just seeing everything that he's done, you're like, I feel like I've had a front row seat kind of to his career. I sent you a text about this. I would say the level of enthusiasm was muted to, to, to lower than muted. 
because as a sports guy, I will, if somebody bumps into me and recognizes me, they'll be like, Hey, I got What do you think if Andrew Luck, and honestly, it's only, it's not to hear my opinion. It's only that the person wants to tell me like, no, you're wrong, but here's actually my opinion on it. I didn't really yeah. care about your answer to your question. I just want to get, there was a night in Boston a few years ago, a guy wanted to tell me about Chauncey Billups and it went so badly that I thought my friends are going to fight the guy. Like I, I played along, I let him talk. It went on and on. He was wrong about everything. It went on for 10 minutes. He was shit faced. And I finally was like, look, I know Chauncey Billups. Here's what happened. You're wrong. I'm telling you. And he goes, yeah, dude, I don't know. And I went, all right, this is it. It's it. So I told Nate that, you know, because people know that I moved out here to write, there were other comedians that were asking for material. And I was like, I just know that I'm built that way. But I also feel that I didn't want to not share some of the stuff with you so you could either tweak it or I wanted you to give the first pass at it. All right. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. So this would be like, if you're back in New York city, it'd have to be a major market. All right. So you'd be and like, already, hey. this joke has to be specifically done in a, so already starting before even. Yes. The joke, yeah. This is an Vandy. Yeah. Yeah. This, this joke can't work everywhere. So you're already, you're selling a joke that yeah. by the way, can only work in that one area. All right. That's all yeah. Right. No, it's geographically. I'm trying to get the pricing right on the joke when I buy it. I don't want like, you to not. Right. Exactly. You're going to play to the audience. So you're back in the city and you'd go, Hey man, the city, the city's crazy, huh? And you'd be like, I used to live here and you know, I'm, I'm a kid from the South. So when I got here, the homeless thing, and look, I'm not anti-homeless. Nobody would, nobody'd say that. Um, but I would make eye contact with homeless people. And it, I just, they, they knew as soon as I made eye contact, I was just a mark. And, you know, I'd be like giving guys a couple bucks. I'd feel guilty because I didn't really know what was going on. So I was like losing a lot of money when I first moved up here. So I needed to devise a system to try to find a way to like just rule some people out. So like if I saw a guy with a sign and the cardboard was worn and maybe he misspelled some words and the marker was going dry towards the end, I'd be like, look, this guy, this guy needs a couple bucks, like no problem. But then if I saw another guy with a sign with like something clever, a saying, I'd be like, hmm, that's a good thought in like different colors and the lines are really straight. I'm like, this guy just hasn't really applied himself. Like there's some skills here. And I think like my couple bucks, like you're, you're a couple good decisions and a better shirt away from a real job. Like, look at your sign. Yours is better than the other guys. Yeah. All right. Uh, tough, tough ending, yeah. tough dismount. Yeah. Well, the journey there was, we took the long road there, didn't we? Uh, <laughs> it's that, I mean, that's right there. Is we that a pass? Out, I mean, we could cut out almost all of that joke. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that was the the journey to you explaining every, I think that's what happens is like you learn as older you get in comedies, details do matter. And sometimes like you have the mis misspelled word and his, you know, his sign, yeah. but it's like, you got to get to like, that's You got to get to that part. That's got to be there. You know, after you make your anti-homeless, uh, Hey everybody, I'm not anti-homeless. Uh, I like you. You seem to like that part. You seem to like that part. But then your you just about yeah, you were, you're you were fading. Yeah. I was my audience of one here. All right. I got, I got a couple of minutes. So now now the pressure's on. All right, I got one more. This applies to any city. So this will work anywhere. Um, okay, maybe a younger cool. audience, especially colleges. But I don't want to I don't want to yeah. limit the audience. Uh, yeah, right. So we're like, hey, you guys, uh, you guys out in the dating apps. That's crazy, huh? 
Here's the thing about dating apps. You're basically selling the best version of yourself that may not even be true. Like, imagine if you went to a mortgage company and said, hey, yeah, I'm good for it. Like, look at me. I pay my bills. I have plenty of money. I have a great job. And they just took your word for it. And then we're like, all right, here's a check. I think we need a credit score for dating. So kind of like if you get a credit card and you apply for a bunch, they're like, that's too many inquiries. It'd be the same as if like, hey, this guy, what's his deal? Dude, he follows every weather girl in the Midwest. Those are inquiries. There'd be a slight ding. The second level of that would be like, he's been dumped four straight times. Like he doesn't have any dating history here where he's actually dumped anybody. That would ding your score even more. And then finally, like a tax lien or a bankruptcy, it'd be like OJ going to his buddies being like, my score is terrible. And they'd go, dude, it's going to be bad for like a long time. Yeah. You know, I like the... Uh, I went quicker because like you were looking at me. So. Yeah. You felt better about it? You should. No, but, no, I uh, rushed it. Oh, my cadence yeah. is off now. Now. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not a good audience. I was a terrible barker, by the way, because I that I brought this in. That doesn't that out. doesn't surprise me. Hey, we got a great comedy show. You don't I, don't go then, dude. I don't care. What do I care if you go to the show? Uh, I like the the him following the weather girls. I've never heard that. That's that's pretty funny. That's a very funny like idea to think of a guy that only follows all weather girls. I have a like, friend who does specific, that. Really? It's a, yeah. I mean that's a so that's why you can tell that's a very specific. That's like the detail that's perfect because that's so specific, but very funny to like just picture like he's like, yeah, dude, like because that guy would be like, I figured it out. You're all wasting your time. Weather girls. That's where it's at. Follow and just following all these weather girls. Uh, But uh, yeah, I like I like I love that reference. Uh, No, I'm just this isn't for me. You can. I mean, I know you already taped the special is my point. uh, I will. Yeah, these are, I'm, I'm not taking these. I don't, this would be, this is like, you're the, you're the homeless guy with the bad sign at first. I'm mean, like, I, 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 like, there's, uh, I'm trying to, help, I'm trying to help you out. So when you try to give these to someone else, you know? Yeah. Well, look, I, I got some texts here, so I'll, I just, look, I can text some guys back and say Nate passed. So we're good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Please. I'll text them and tell them. Don't worry about it. Uh, let me do it. <laughs> I want to give my heads up. I'm going to go, hey, I passed, but uh, yikes. No, <laughs> there, it would be mining. I would mine your, if I did it, I would mine the, the weather girl thing is, is, is what I like. All right. That's very funny. Noted. And uh, it felt a little like taking a jumper in front of Steph Curry. So I appreciate you humoring us here <laughs> yeah. on the podcast. We were yeah. trying to do something different there at the end. I so like there it. you go. No, I loved it. Um, the new special, March 18th, the greatest average American, Nate Bargatze. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Hey, buddy. Always. Anytime, dude. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old work outfit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? <laughs> I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day. This is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. 
incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore yoga class, that just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to. And of course, the core short out now. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Ryan. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. A um, couple feedback ones quickly. What do we got? We got uh, we had somebody checking in from Germany, also an expat. Now Kyle, left and right. Kyle, you'd be good as an expat, I bet, for a little bit. It depends where. I think I'd do all right in Jamaica. I don't know if you would. Well, I don't, I don't really like whatever it is you're insinuating, but. I don't know. I mean, like Jamaica. I loved it. I love it. I, I mean, I, I man, I'm serious. When they when they were showing those videos of uh, Biggie Smalls' uncle outside of I don't know where that town is. I mean, I can't. It was, when I was there, it was before the highway was was finished. Um, so it's kind of a tough place to get around. Like you'd be in a village, and then you'd be in the other one, and then you'd be like, "Hey, I want to go here." And then I remember I was like, "Hey, can we check out Kingston?" and Local guys were like, no, I don't even want to go to Kingston. They're like, and we're definitely not bringing you. Like, what are you, nuts? So I'm afraid you'd end up in Kingston. You would just get off the plane and stay there and be like, yeah, I found an Airbnb. Like, we're good to go. Well, I'd obviously talk to experts like you or somebody first, you know? Yeah, right. I wouldn't consider myself an expert. It's been a long time now. But, oh, (laughs) (laughs) zingers. Zingers from Kyle here. All right. So, uh... Let's go back to those early days. This is an interesting. Um, this is an interesting one, and I'm glad that uh, made it through the filter. Dear Ryan, back at university, I was fortunate enough to play goalie for a D1 soccer program at your alma mater, UVM. In the transition from junior to senior year, a new coach was hired. His philosophy was that no time would be wasted on conditioning during preseason training, so he provided a three month running program for the summer. It was designed so that when you enter preseason, you would run a 550 mile to qualify to play. If you did not run it in 550, you had to sit out and try the next day until you ran it in 550. Well, I was never really into running and I was a goalie, so I figured I would work out all summer, bulk up instead, which would be better, uh, which would better suit my position. When preseason was about to start, I called the coach and said, listen, I've been cleaning windows all summer and working out. I've gained 10 pounds and feel great, but there's no way I'm going to run a mile in 550. Can you make an exception for me? Goalies don't run anyway, dot, dot, dot. Coach said, no, you have to run a 550 or you can't play, Chris. (laughs) I thought about it long and hard and decided that I'd rather enjoy my senior year and party more than put in the work to run this 550 mile and play on the team. Well, I went on and did just that. I even broke some known records for consecutive nights out going downtown to drink at the bars. My roommates used to think it was funny that I'd come out of my room at 1230 in the afternoon and ask them to quiet down because they were waking me up. My uncles would come up from Boston and call me king of the school because everyone knew me and we never paid for drinks. It was arguably the best year of my life. However, I always think about what it would have been like to play on that team that year. It was my last chance to play the sport I loved and I threw it away because I was lazy. I never played again. Do you think I should go on living with this regret or move on and be happy with my decisions? What would you have done? 
All right, this is my roommate from college, one of mine. So yes, uh, I'm partly to blame for that last year and him not playing soccer. So I feel like it's about his regret, but I feel like it's really directed at me a little bit more. So Chris's story is pretty amazing. He played goalie, I think, in high school, was pretty good, and then was bored with it. So he decided to like play in the field. Um, I don't know which position. Would just say striker. It sounds cool. Um, center back. I don't know. I don't know the positions. Don't get pissed at ball, about it, soccer guys. Relax. So he, I think his senior year, he played in the field because he was bored and then was all state or something crazy. Uh, Chris was arguably the best athlete of any of the guys that were athletes, but he didn't even do anything. He was crazy. He came down to work construction for my father. Uh, we installed insulation one spring break while all the other kids with money were in like Puerto Vallarta. And it was, it was awful installing insulation in the winter, but we were putting in insulation and then he, I was showing him around the, the Island and we found this framed out beach bathroom house thing. So all it was was the frame and he jumped up on the frame and was like, Hey, you get up on the other side. He goes, let's race to see who can run across the frame. So you're like 10 feet up running on two by fours. And by the time I had taken a few steps, he was already done with it. He's like a cat. It was weird. So he goes to UVM. He doesn't play soccer his first year, his second year. He decides his third year is just going to try out as goalie again. He hasn't played goalie in three years. They had a full-blown scholarship for one kid and then I think gave a partial scholarship to another kid who had transferred from Tennessee, who was like a big deal. And he also, I think that kid had a tattoo of Adidas logo on his calf because Tennessee was an Adidas school. And then for whatever, obviously didn't work out for him at Tennessee. And then I think UVM had Nike gears. We honestly, we might have been canon. Who knows? Um, I don't know why I pluralized gear. Apologies. But Chris ended up being the starting goalie. He beat the scholarship kid. He just walked on and then was was the goalie for UVM. But yes, we did like to go out that last year. And he didn't want to run that 550 mile. He did come back jacked, though, because he was eating egg whites nonstop. He was like big on his whole diet. And he walked around with his shirt off everywhere. So he was seriously, because there weren't many big guys at UVM. So he came back pretty ripped up. He was probably at like 178 maybe for him. And he looked great though. Don't get me wrong. Terrific looking kid. And he was like, he came back in with white jeans, sambas, a belt and no shirt. Like that's how he walked in. Oh, and he came in with a dog. And I go, what, we got two dogs at the house this year? I thought we only, I thought there were six of us, one dog. He's like, yeah, I got a dog too. And his dog was, no offense, really dumb. And, but good heart. Dog had, heart was in the right place, but I, I didn't know enough at that time. So look, I don't know what to tell you, man. You're a great athlete. I'm sure a lot of those nights you don't regret. And by the way, when he says that he used to wake up at 1230 and tell the rest of us to be quiet, he woke up once at 530 PM from the night before. And we were eating subs, getting ready to watch games and probably go out. And he was like, seriously, guys, I'm sleeping. Can you keep it down? And somebody was like, seriously, it's fucking the next night, dude. It's the next night. There's no, the whatever the window is, it's been closed for a while where you get to tell us to be quiet. It's already tomorrow. And he went back to bed for half an hour. Then he came back out and laughed that he yelled at us. Everybody liked him. Uh, he was arguably king of the school for a little while. And his uncles did throw him up and down in the air one night, which was really weird because they were all from like, the North Shore or something, and they were like throwing him in the air, calling him king of the school. And there were other guys like, wait, is this, is this official? Was it voted on? 
The bigger thing here, though, and I have it, is I'll have dreams about playing basketball because I feel completely unfulfilled. But I have to be really honest with myself. What what was I going? What's the best basketball version of my story? D three somewhere where I don't even score enough, and then I'm at a school that I probably wouldn't have liked as much as the one I went to. You know, it wasn't like I was going to play D one anywhere. So I can get mad and regret, you know, all these different things. But there's nothing. There's one of the most densely populated groups of people is basketball players that think if the coach hadn't fucked him or an injury here or, you know, something, oh, I was getting some looks and all this different stuff. I wasn't getting any of that. And I didn't even fill out until I was older anyway. So the point is, is even if I have some weird regrets about my, what was I doing with it? So Chris, yeah, you could have played soccer senior year. Where was that going? Where was that going after that? You have a great family. I know where you live. You have a great business, great house, whole thing. You're a great person. One of my favorite people. So Chris, who are we kidding? The lucky 15? That's what you, the guys would sit around and it would be 1.30 a.m. And they would be like, I'm going to go out at 1.45 just to see what happens. He did it all the time. There you go. Sounds like he had a great senior year. Yeah, he had a great senior year. He doesn't he doesn't need to worry about it. People could write a book about his senior year. All right. So he has no he did not want to run that mile though. And he came back jacked. And then it was funny because another guy in the team like kind of was over it too. This other guy was like a cool guy on campus. And then they had like a heart to heart. And I think the cool guy said to Chris, he was like, if you told me you were going to quit, I would have quit too. <laughs> because I was running all summer. I got to be honest, 550 mile is not. I mean, now for me, yeah, I, no thanks. But back then, live, 20, 21 year old bodies, I, I'm surprised he couldn't run a 550. Guy just didn't like running, I guess. But yeah, all of you guys going, hey, well, you know, I regret this. I regret. Okay, yeah, I regret stuff too. But what was happening? You think you're going to play and. Finland, you know, I'm going to play basketball. Like, hey, where can I find a league? Oh, I'm in the New Guinea League. All right. <laughs> where my sports cool. dreams were waking up with superpowers and not telling anyone. And that's how I get to be a professional athlete. Those are, I was like, man, if I could just be Superman and keep it on the ground, I'd be the best fucking running back ever. Who do you think would be the best superhero pro athlete where it's not absurd, right? Well, if it's not absurd, I mean, the only one who doesn't have superpowers is Batman. He's just yeah, like but I don't know. I mean, how fast is he? Yeah, is he fast? Maybe Spider Man because he doesn't, he can't like fly, so it's not like cheating. He's just sort of using his God givens. Yeah, if you just threw the ball up in the air and he's jumping 10, 15 feet, I mean, I don't know what Spider Man's bird is. Well, he's got the, the Spidey sense. He never gets tackled. Never, never. You know, he'd be great in the pocket. Totally, totally. Yeah. Now you're talking. He'd just be like, Throwing I can't get this to himself. Guy. Yeah. He could probably throw passes to himself. Spider-Man might be the answer. I mean, Spider-Man's just, that's ridiculous. Wolverine, I mean, mm. the claw thing would be a penalty. Yeah, he'd be bounced. Thor, I think it'd be tough to get along with him on road trips. You'd just be like, dude, you, we just don't see the world the same. Uh, Black Widow probably be in the G League. <laughs> Still don't know what she does. She's, she has guns, right? She shoots. Isn't that her deal? Yeah, Guns she's like really good. If you interrogate her, it's not going to go your way, apparently. Oh, but okay. I don't know. 
I got to tell you, the movies seem way easier to get out of interrogations than it would be in real life. <laughs> you never think about that? No, didn't. Didn't actually. Do you never? Do you ever think about how you would do under interrogation being tortured? I do. I think about it all the time. So is it torture or is it like the cops are there and it's like, well, you're not you're not getting out. Because I feel like if it was like one of those things, it's like we're not letting you out of this room. I would have just been like McConaughey and be like, all right, give me some Lone Star beers and some 100s. Well, we're going to be here for a while. But I guess if there's like some, they're going to do stuff. You'd ask me. if you could stay. <laughs> like, yeah, you can't smoke inside anywhere in this country. But I guess. <laughs> but I mean, if they're tearing off my fingernails, I'm like totally I'm singing. Yeah, right. I, I think most of us would be like, OK, yep. Stuff's downstairs. <laughs> I had a roommate. I broke a sprinkler when I was in college. We were playing. We were throwing the football around in the hallway, and of course, my throw hit the sprinkler. Oh, like and a broke searing, it off. ceiling sprinkler. Yeah. Oh, so shit. it flooded the floor, and then it flooded some rooms, and then it actually perfectly, for whatever reason, had a perfectly dry semicircle in front of my door. Because however the water was flowing in the hallway, <laughs> that industrial carpet, oh, no. it just, however they leveled the concrete in the front of my door, it had a, just slight enough of a pitch that the water wasn't going up it while it was flooding all of my neighbor's rooms. So I left scared and hid yeah, no somewhere shit. else. I was 18. I, was, I didn't know any of that. I was like, oh my God, I don't want to be around here. I think I just here. got kicked out, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. And so I got, I was... It was somebody else I knew, and I just was asleep on the couch in their dorm room. And then there was a knock on the door like two hours later. It was the cops. The guy was like, hey. I was like, God, that was amazingly fast. Like, how did that happen? And the guy's like, did you break the sprinkler? I go, yeah. I go, I was throwing the football. I panicked. I don't know what to do. I'm sorry. He's like, all right. He goes, at least you admitted it. And I was like, how did you get here? He goes, your roommate told us it was you. <gasps> Which was kind of messed up that he immediately told me that it was the roommate. So I got back. I go, what happened? And then the guy was like, Hemin and Han, we had a triple. And then the third guy goes, dude, he literally was like, hey, do you guys know who broke this? He was like, it was Ryan. And he's at this storm. Oh, my God. He he flipped. He flipped as quick as any. People were like, it's the fastest I've ever seen anyone flip. He just blatantly was like, yeah, hey, it was Ryan. And I can tell you exactly where he is right now. Because it could have been played off as like somebody broke it. Nobody admits it. And then fine. Um, but the water thing sucked. And then I had to like. Really looking back, it's, I should have stuck around, helped everybody, and I and I didn't realize how bad it was going to get. And it was, uh, you know, I was 18. I made a mistake. I'm aware of it now. Um, Not a good look, late, though. The immediate, the immediate snitch. Tough, tough. No, to I love that. Move past I love that, that freshman year. You're upset, more upset with him snitching than it is me leaving. Like what he did is lame. Me leaving is way worse. It's way at the worse. The very least, yeah, yeah. I should have stuck around, helped, help people clean up, damn the ports because the water was going underneath people's doors. So they were stacking towels in the back of it. I mean, it was really bad. It was really <laughs> bad. So, you know, whatever. We all make mistakes. Okay. Uh, that took forever. Let's see here. I should do one more that isn't about me in college. How about that? Yeah, here's a quick one. All right, here we go. All right, 30-year-old dude living in LA. Pre-COVID, I was in pretty good shape. Strength training, three, four days a week. Still in decent shape. Body weight workouts in my apartment, but obviously I've lost some mass. One of my favorite exercises to do over the past year is pull-ups. From the comfort of my own apartment, I've learned that I prefer to do dead hang pull-ups without over-the-ear headphones on and also no t-shirt. 
Both the headphones and t-shirt get in the way or restrict weirdly during the exercise. Obviously, when gyms open up again, taking off headphones to do pull-ups is not a problem at all. You needed to make sure that was confirmed, that those of us either listening or reading this email knew that taking off the headphone, I worry about where this was going. All right. Pre-COVID, I definitely felt that taking off a t-shirt for an exercise is a try-hard move. But now that I've experienced the benefits of not wearing a t-shirt while doing pull-ups, I don't really want to go back. It allows me to do full range of motion smoothly and perhaps even more reps. Like I said, I'm, do- I'm definitely not looking like a bodybuilder, but I'm also not awful looking with a shirt off. In the future, do I need to wear bigger or less restrictive t-shirts for days than I'm doing pull-ups? Or is taking off the t-shirt for an exercise not as tacky of a- as a move as I have in my head? Whoa. Yeah, dude. Don't take your shirt off to do pull-ups at the gym once they start opening up again. <laughs> I don't think you... Am I, am I missing something here? I don't um, think. I don't even think you can do that in some gyms. I think they they have like an alarm that goes off. Yeah, I'm trying to just double check here um, what we're talking about because pull ups nowadays we're all we're all over the place. The the pull up industry in general um, we're kind of all over the place. So I, I don't really understand this. Does this guy want to take his shirt off at the gym? Like, I think, I think that's what we're talking about. I mean, dead hangs are real pull-ups as far as I'm concerned. All right. Uh, maybe there's a little bit more of a pause on yours. I don't understand. I, I gotta be honest with you. I'm calling you out a little bit here. You really think you're getting three more pull-ups in because you don't have a shirt on? That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. So this one's pretty simple. I would keep the shirt on. If you want to go compression shirt guy, although I have the most respect ever for long sleeve, out of shape compression shirt guy at a sporting event. It's my favorite look ever. I'm just like, you are the best because no one possibly could think that looks good, but you're going for it. Uh, Yeah, look, I see the guys on Instagram too that take their shirt off at the gym. I don't know why they get away with it. Probably because they're fucking jacked and they have a million followers and it's all part of the routine. So, you know, most of us don't look like those guys, but I guess I'm just, wondering why you think you're getting three or four more reps on a pull-up just because of a restrictive less restrictive shirt that doesn't make a lot of sense i have a feeling like we're gonna get a follow-up here or this is a joke all right that's uh that's where we're at i'll do more of these next week but we'll be back monday yeah that's right monday wednesday friday so bill and i are going every other sunday for a bit all right there you go